Here's the 2 1. That's hit in the air to right. Tavares off the bench and he's tied it. That swing chases Machi. And Tavares, who had only three home runs in over 230 at bats in the big leagues, takes a curtain call here in the seventh inning of game two. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Prospects Me Named Later. I'm Colin Garner. I'm joined tonight, as always, by Kyle Reese. Uh, so, we're going to start tonight with talking about Peoria. Uh, we're going to jump right in. So, this week was the first week that I really locked in on the Peoria Chiefs. For whatever reason, I haven't really been watching them as much as I should. I think it was partly because they were playing in Midland, and Midland has a good uh, camera angle, so it's a lot easier to watch the game than the high home uh, that they have in Peoria. And they had a couple day games, and so I watched those while I was at work because I didn't have a whole lot to do. So, the first... First things for okay. Here's how let's do this. I'm gonna let Kyle give us the big picture on these prospects and what he's seen for years and years. And I'm gonna gonna try to uh, mesh that with what I saw like this week in particular. And so the first guy I want to talk about is Dennis Ortega, and I don't think we've really given a lot of time on the show. So Kyle, let's just talk about Dennis Ortega for a minute. Yeah. So you know, of course, any of the prospects we talk about, there isn't really years and years of uh, like. Backlog, you know. I I'll, I imagine we'll go over Montero. You know, we're talking about Dennis Ortega, and both of those guys have been in the organization now for, uh, you know, three, four years, depending on who we're talking about. And you know, there, there isn't a whole lot to go on. It's nice to have them in Peoria because you finally get to like watch them on a regular basis. Uh, with Ortega, you know, the the thing with him is he always seemed like he was on the track to being a good defensive catcher. Uh, he, you know, it was developed for the age he was. You know, he's 21 right now. Uh, he was always overdeveloped for the age. And uh, one thing that really stuck out to me uh, when I was down at spring training about Dennis Ortega is you could tell that he has a, uh, a like, I don't know, sometimes it's like a magnetic personality. You could see that the other catchers flocked to him. When they were doing catching drills, you would see, uh, 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 you know, you'd see Kisner, you'd see all the minor league catchers kind of just flock around him like he was he was kind of in charge. And he's six foot two, and he's like, 210, but he seems bigger on the field, and that's kind of a weird thing that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's because of his personality, so he he has, like, that type of leadership, too, that, that carries his way into the game. Uh, his pitchers love throwing to him, that is something that is it's well documented, you can find that pretty well any, any you know anywhere you look. The deal with Ortega is, he has probably the best throwing arm in the organization, it's a rocket. The Midwest League is afraid of it, and it was on full display in the Midwest League All-Star Game. Uh, he's a solid catcher. He's a good game caller for the level, you know, for single A, for a 21-year-old that still needs to develop. Uh, it seems like, and this is something you'll touch on a little bit better than I can because you're a catcher and you understand the fundamentals of catching better, but he seems like an okay uh, framer. He seems like an okay pitch blocker. Uh, what's really been impressive is there was a time when he was down in the Dominican Summer League and then the Gulf Coast League where he looked like he would have an okay contact tool, a contact tool that would play as he, uh, as he, as his defense progressed. So he would have a potential to be a major leaguer. Well, last year that, that offensive tool just completely 
completely Shaq crashed on him. And uh, he, he, it looked like that offensive tool had taken a huge step back might not develop well. This year he got off to a tough start. Uh, and now it looks like a solid contact tool. He's a little aggressive in the box. He, it's like it's like he probably roomed with Jose Martinez uh, maybe a little too long. And uh, But he's an interesting prospect who fits more along the timeline of a player who might replace Yadier Molina. Uh, he doesn't have the advanced bat that Andrew Kisner has shown. He doesn't necessarily have the bat that Carson Kelly has shown in the minor leagues uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, but he does have the foundation to being a, an average to above average to plus to good defensive catcher in the long run with a, a contact tool that's developing. So when it's, I'll just kind of take that piece by piece, just kind of what I've seen comparatively. His arm, you're right, is, is like it's it's really freaking good. He's got a cannon back there. There was a play um, from early in the season that I embedded in my post uh, that went out yesterday where he like blocks it, but it kind of goes back behind, like kind of to the cutout, and he recovers, and he throws off his back foot, and he puts it on the money, and he throws the guy out because the runner didn't even slide because most catchers don't make that throw, let alone in, in Peoria, the Midwest League. So the arm is good. He is kind of reckless sometimes. There was a play in the game started by Alvaro Sejas the other day where I think there was one out and runner on third, and Sejas got strike three. And he, like, casually made that little flip throw down to third, like what we've seen Yachty do where the runner gets lazy where, like, he just kind of tries to catch him napping. Like, he doesn't set his feet. It's just on his knees, and it's really casual. I mean, Yachty makes that play a lot, but that's Yachty, so I just kind of cringe when I see a, a minor league catcher do it. But he definitely has a good arm. Like you said about his blocking, I think his blocking is better than his framing, although he frames the low pitch really well, which was odd to me because that's pretty universally known as the hardest pitch to frame is the fastball right at the knees. And he frames that one very well, especially for the Midwest League. The one he struggles with is the same one that Andrew Kisner struggled with is the ball that's outside his body on the first base side of home plate. The ball just carries its glove back just a little bit and it looks herky-jerky and he caused Sejas some calls in that game, especially on curveballs. Um, a lot of times you'll see Yachty like, drop to one knee and it kind of allows you to get a little more reach and be a little stronger on those. So I, I would like to see that a little bit. Um, at the plate, I, the thing that stood out to me was he was really balanced. He was a lot more balanced than I expected. Um, the, the game I watched this week, he had one of the best games of the season. He hit, I think, two doubles and drove a, a couple balls, too, to right field. It kind of carries a little bit like Carson Kelly to the point where he'll, he can drive a ball to right field, but he's not really going to drive it over the right fielder or into the seats. And so some of those end up being flyouts. And so I'd like to see him on balls away from him, just try to hit more line drives, a little less launch angle. But that being said, he did get a hanging curveball and he just absolutely launched one in the gap. Um, might have been a home run. I can't remember. But yeah, I think Dennis, or, like he, he looked really good to me, like a lot more polished than I expected. He's not completely polished, but more polished than I expected. And you're right, he fits the timeline of Yadier Molina a lot better than Andrew Kisner, who, if he can ever hit for power consistently, and we've seen flashes of it, is a good enough hitter 
that he doesn't need to stay in the minor leagues. Unlike Carson Kelly, whose whose main tool is his glove, and you're not going to replace one of the best catchers of all time. Andrew Kisner fits that timeline a little bit better, and Carson Kelly might be broken, and so the next guy up is Dennis Ortega, like you said. And I was just like very pleasantly surprised by what I saw. He's a fun kid to watch. He's going to be, you know, it seems like the Junior Fernandez kind of thing with him. He's been in the organization for so long now, and you've heard his name bounce around that in your mind you think he's older than what he really is. And, uh, you know, he's only 21, and he's making progress, and he has good energy. And, it, you know, it, ideally, ideally he's on that track, and it, hopefully it, just, it all manifests. But I'm excited about him. I'm not overly excited about him. I think ultimately, you know, he, he doesn't have the potential to be like a perennial all-star or maybe even an all-star or anything like that. But he can hold down the fort and be the type of catcher. You know, if he, if he peaks, he can be the type of catcher that you don't complain about. You don't need to complain about. Yeah, and the other thing about, you know, you have to keep in mind with catchers is offensively the par is a lot lower than a first baseman. So I just want to do real quick a couple other guys. Uh, we don't have to go as long on those guys as we did with Ortega. So Alvaro Cejas, I thought he had a really good-looking curveball, and he had a fastball look like it played really well up in the zone, and he's definitely not 5'10". Um, Montero, he, he, had a, he had a kind of a tough week. He didn't play one of the games I watched. It looks like he's, he's physically a monster, and his physical ability – takes over for him sometimes, but it looks like he's really heavy on his front foot when he loads, and so he can be fooled on breaking balls. A lot of hitters get fooled on breaking balls. When he does it, it's done kind of violently, and that kind of stands out to me. Um, I forgot that Bryce Denton was still 20 years old, which was kind of crazy. Um, who else am I missing? I thought I thought about some other things when I was there, but I can't. they don't come to my mind right now. Anyway, that was my... Nick Plummer, did you see Nick Plummer? Um, Nick Plummer looked like a robot in the box. Yeah. He looks so stiff and he looks so mechanical and it's very, very just tough to watch sometimes. Yeah, his, his swing in particular, his, his actual hands through the zone, it's, uh, I don't know, it's weird, it's hard to explain, he's, just, he's kind of rough with them, he kind of pulls his hand, but it's just not good. Yeah, instead of just being like loose and letting his hands go and just being athletic, he like it looks like he's trying to like take him A to B and he's stiff. I guess I I don't know if I can describe it any better. He just I don't know. It just it just hasn't happened yet and it hasn't happened this year. I I you know Nick Plummer's Nick Plummer. Yeah, yeah. He does. He has shown signs throughout the year where he has surprising pop. And, you know, just like with uh, with Denton there, they're both 20. And it's interesting to watch Bryce Denton, like, come on in the last couple months because, I mean, you talk about a kid who doesn't get cheated out of a swing. He's all, I mean, he's total donkey hat. And, uh, but it seems like he has a better understanding of how he's being attacked. So that's why you're seeing part of the game that, that he's, he's brought on. Uh, I have my own personal thoughts about Larry's, and I, I'm going to keep them I'm going to keep them to myself other than what I've written recently because I don't have I don't have nearly the same impression that you had uh, but I, I just don't really feel like talking about it but overall I don't think he's like a bad player I just thought like that just really stood out to me and maybe he was in a little funk 
Yeah. But it was just like, man, he looked like he was getting fooled on breaking balls. And, I, and like I said, I have probably not watched nearly as much Peoria. I focus on Springfield, which is kind of depressing because they haven't had very many guys for most of the season. That's starting to, to turn around a little bit. But, yeah, I, I was – I did think it was telling that he got – at the, the day after I thought he What looked, is going on? Do what? I'll do the thing uh, the thing that acted all weird. Did you hear it? No, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> oh, your recording device – your recording device played back to me, and it was like uh, going in fast forward. It sounded like the chipmunk, but it was like skipping at the same time. <laughs> I thought something happened in the Cardinals game, which I haven't been watching tonight because I'm still angry after last night. Um, that sucked, by yeah, the way. I don't, know what, I don't know what the hell it was. It sounded like there was a DJ on the recording device. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's the same as it always is. Oh, really? Well, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, I, I heard it pump through, and I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on. No, no, I don't think there's anything wrong. So what we were saying <laughs> about Mon- Montero is I thought it was really telling that the day after I was like, man, Montero looks like off. Like, he looks like something's wrong. It doesn't look like the same guy you see in the highlights or the gifts that are tweeted out. And the next day he got a day off, which indicates like he probably was kind of worn down. So I'd be interested to see see like more closely next week. Um, but I'm kind of disappointed that you're not going to tell us what you think about Montero. But I guess we should all read what you wrote over at Birds on the Black. <laughs> so the we got a couple questions from Twitter. Um, and we'll just touch on them real quick. Some of them we've talked about before last year, but it's a new year, so I guess we can talk about them again. Um, the first one I want to talk about, and this is kind of, I think this is the most interesting one. It's from C70, my new blog boss over at Cards Conclave. Um, and he just, wanted, he just wanted us to talk about who he thinks has a chance to be a franchise player. Um, I know what I think about this question, and that's, that there's not a real safe bet for someone to be a franchise-type player. Um, if I had to put my money on someone, I would say Gorman, but I have a feeling I know who you're going to say, but I'll let you go first. Uh, I, I think you know. I think the safe bet is that there isn't one. I think your best bet is to look at the pitching. You know, I, the Cardinals are in a bind right now, right? They don't have much in the way of high-end talent. Uh, if you look at it like, immediately – it's probably still Tyler O'Neill, and I'm not one to get really excited. By the way, Adolis Garcia just had his 14th home run of the season. Uh, Jag going deep. We'll um, call him Jag on the show. Not one to get... Yeah, right. We'll fuck Jag all day, all day, every day. Um, but you know, I'm not one to get too excited about an 18 year old kid who's super far away uh, and who's missed quite a bit of time with what apparently is just a little bang up. Uh, they, you know, I think he has the potential there. I would like to see Griffin Roberts. Do a little pitching. I'm more intrigued by what the, the potential that he has. I think that could end up being a really, really sneaky pick. Uh, you know, the first rounder technically 43rd overall, but I think we're all going to be pretty surprised what we see out of him if he, you know, blows through the organization when he starts pitching again. Uh, I, I'll stick close, and I will say that Tyler O'Neill is the best chance if given a chance to have a month or two months of steady straight at that. And you know, sure, Gorman, I mean, realistically, Gorman is Gorman. And there's a chance it might be Larry Montero. Again, still too far away. Still too many questions. Uh, and, you know, I love it in Mendoza. I love Andrew Kisner. I, you know, I love all of those guys. Randy Rosarena. 
But there's only one person with a hitting tool that's close to the major league that are with any type of hitting tool that's transformative, and that's Tyler O'Neill's power. And in the minor leagues, he's shown the ability to control a plate appearance, to incorporate walks. And that's not at the major league level, and that's why it's important that we see what it looks like over a month or two months. Uh, but, you know, other than Carson Kelly magically finding his offensive stroke at the major league level and being a transformative defensive catcher, which it doesn't look like either of those things are going to happen, uh, having to choose, I pick Tyler O'Neill. I think that's interesting because it's, it's like, for some reason, like, Tyler O'Neill has never really been thought of as, like, one of their best prospects, in, like, from what I can tell. And maybe people are thinking about him a lot and I just they don't talk about him as much. For whatever reason, Tyler O'Neill just doesn't seem to be in the front of everyone's mind. And yet he's hit, like, 26 home runs between the majors and the minors this year, which is, I would say, I have, don't know for sure, but it has to be the most in the system. Um, yeah, 20, 27. He hit, his, he hit his 24th home run in Memphis tonight, and he had three at the major league. Okay, so, yeah, didn't know he hit that one tonight. But, yeah, and, like, I, for whatever reason, like, he had the same type of experience that Bader did when he first came up last year, where he, was a, he had a couple really good games, and then all of a sudden he was overmatched and he needed to go back. And that's fine, because Harrison Bader is not – the power guy that Tyler O'Neill is, but Harrison Bader has had a lot better plate appearances this year because he had a little extra time to reset, and now he's in the majors. Like, if Tyler O'Neill gets that shot, I think he probably makes similar adjustments. But I still... When I think of a franchise-type player, I think of somebody with, like, an Evan Mendoza or Andrew Kisner-type hit tool, but more power than Andrew Kisner or Evan Mendoza. Not really... Not really O'Neill power because that's that power doesn't really come along. I don't think with with guys who are those those types of guys are are not just franchise players. They're more than franchise players. But and so I still have to say Gorman simply because I don't see anyone else who could do that besides maybe Eli Montero. And still the power is not really there. Where I think he probably ends up being someone with above average power, but not really a transformational type power. Yeah, and it's like, I understand that we put all these eggs in the Marcelo Zuna basket. Like, I understand that. And I saw some tweets today talking about how the Cardinals lost that trade. And I, and I understand that Ozuna's been bad, okay? But they really didn't lose that trade because McNair Sierra wasn't going to be an everyday player. Zach Gallon's probably not going to be in a rotation if you had to put money on it. And Sandy Alcantara's a wild card who I still don't think has an off-speed pitch and can throw consistent strikes. So as bad as Ozuna's been, I wouldn't say we lost that trade, but gosh, he's been... I mean, to me, I have to wonder, like, I kind of wonder if there's an injury, especially with the way he throws, because that is not a good arm, remotely a good arm in the outfield. But, so so I think, like, giving Tyler Neal the shot's worth it, especially because the guy in the other corner is not good either. And so, yeah, you kind of got to know what you have. Like, maybe he's a stud, and you don't have... That's one less thing you have to go worry about in the offseason. Um, it'd be interesting to find out. O'Neill's the first one we'd find out about if we find out about any of them. Yeah. So what, what's the next question, Colin? So the next one is, as I look 
on my phone real quick. The next one is from, we're kind of a, oh, okay. So at Philly Bowl, I don't know who that is, but thank you for the question. Said out of Mercado, Rosarena, Machado, Carlson, which outfielder has the highest floor and highest upside? We can do this one really quick because I think, to me, it might be the same guy. Okay. So, the, the, give me the question one more time a little slower. I'm sorry, Colin. Okay, yeah, I'm kind of... Of... Sorry, there's a lot of, of names being thrown out there. So, Mercado, Randy, Jonathan Machado, and Dylan Carlson, sure. which one has the highest floor and the highest upside? The highest floor and the highest upside. Yeah. Mags has a 64 weighted runs created plus in AAA. Yeah, I, I agree with both of those for all the reasons you said. I just think Mercado has a less risky hit tool than Rosarena, and I think he's a better defender because he plays center. So that's why I would give him the higher floor over Randy. So what has changed with Carlson? Because I was kind of caught in that trap you were just talking about. Like I described Carlson as eh, and you stopped me the other day and was like, well, no, Carlson's done a lot of good. What has changed? Like I know you can't watch these in Palm Beach, but – what, if anything, has stood out to you about what has changed? So, what I can tell you is that some of the people I've talked to say that nothing has changed. It's just his physical maturity and development and understanding of what's going on at the level is really starting to click. Like, he's starting to understand, like, the professional pitching mindset. I think that's one of the things that gets lost as we talk about development of hitters, that there's a certain amount of understanding, you know, of needing to be able to understand what's coming at you. Uh, 
you're being attacked and how to adjust to it. And, you know, the one thing about Dylan Carlson is even when his average is low, he's always had a respectable on-base percentage. So he doesn't ever change. Like, that was always his game. That was always what carried him through, you know, carried him through Peoria last year. It was the fact that he was never, he was always going to get on base somehow. Now, he's starting to understand when he can unload on a baseball a little bit more. And also, he's getting a little bit more aggressive. Uh, my assumption is it's because he's starting to understand how he's being pitched to a little bit better. His strikeout rate has gone up just a little bit. It's still an acceptable amount uh, as his power is starting to take off. And what I think is going on is, and what's going to be really interesting now, is now that George Greer is with the Cardinals, I should have been watching what, it, what Carlson's looked like over the last week because in Palm Beach he's been able to work with George Greer every day. Uh, but what's going to be really interesting is to see how the power continues to develop in relation with his on-base percentage and his strikeout numbers. I think I think they got him in Palm Beach. I think they work with him every day. Uh, and I think he was given the green light or the encouragement to start incorporating the all-field power that he's shown from both the left and the right side. Uh, and I think that's what's changing. Yeah, like, you could see the power before. Like, he would hit some bombs, but it was just like, it would come out of nowhere, and then it would disappear for a while. Um, I hate that he's in Palm Beach because you can't watch him. I can't wait for him to get to Springfield. I told you that, like, when he gets to Springfield, he's going to, like, shoot up my list because I'm going to see him every day. And, like, all those little things that you always talk about with just the high baseball IQ, I'm going to love those things. I know I'm going to love those things. Um, so I can't. I, I would expect him to be in Springfield at least at the beginning of next season. And I can't wait for that. The last thing that I want to talk about, and, and we'll keep it pretty short tonight, is some of the guys at Springfield who just got called up, and, and Warner and Young specifically. So I looked at Warner's numbers, and like they didn't match up to what I was seeing him. And like his last two starts have been excellent. But before those two starts, I looked at his numbers, and I was like, hmm, those look – those are really bad, and when I watch him pitch, like he looks like he's got good stuff. I understand he's he's a non-drafted guy and all that, but he looked like he had he's a, he has a fastball that he can throw on both sides of the plate, and his slider just gets swings and misses like crazy. He gets so many swings and misses with his slider. Um, and the other guy I was saying is Andy Young. We talked about him a little bit before we started recording. I think Andy Young's power is going to be unleashed in the Texas League because he had pretty good numbers in the Florida State League, kind of like how Carlson is right now. Maybe not as good. But he hit two home runs tonight. Um, I've, I think he has really good power. I think he, he takes enough walks. I'm really excited to see Andy Young in Springfield, even though he's probably not the highest ceiling guy. I think his numbers in Springfield are going to be so much better than his Palm Beach, and now people, and then people will start talking about him once he does that. And I think he's motivated too. You know, I, he, he should not have been in Palm Beach as long as he's been. He's the start of the year in Springfield, and I have a feeling you're going to see a very motivated second baseman slash third baseman who uh, who probably puts up similar numbers to what Ramon Urias has put up in his time in Springfield. Uh, you're going to see so. One of the impressive things that Andy Young has done this season is he's really lowered his K rate from the prior two years. And uh, I think that that K rate is about ready to go back up 
And as a matter of fact, the K rate is going to be the most interesting thing to watch for him at Springfield because you know the power is going to be there. It's going to be interesting to watch what happens there. I just, I just imagine an Andy Young that is just like mashing balls into the wind, and Roger Dean, and now he gets to hit those balls out of Hammond's Field, which is such a hitter's park. It's kind of insane. And so I'm very happy for Andy Young that those are going to be home runs. But you're right, K rate is is the is the mature way to look at um, what Andy Young does in Springfield. Um, yeah, and, and as far as Austin Warner goes, I don't have much of a feeling about Austin Warner. I do like his breaking pitch. You know, I've, I've seen, like, to me it looks like a slider, but I've seen everyone else call it a curveball. So, you know. It's pretty slurvy. You know, it could go both ways. I think it's a slurve. Yeah. Um, yeah. If he has a future, it's as a left-handed guy in a bullpen. I mean, that's what it is. He's a fastball slider guy. Yeah, yeah. If he has a future. Big if there. I'm not saying anything. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, well, he just had two really good starts, and I and I thought it was worth mentioning at least. No. So, anyways, I think that uh, I think you, his ability to go in and out and command both his fastball on both sides of the plate is really important. And he isn't just like for me. You know me. I'm somewhat dismissive of like Anthony Shue. Some people were really excited about him, and to me, he's just a lot of fun and a good story. And you know, Austin Warner's story's better. But there is a chance with Austin Warner. And, you know, there isn't necessarily a chance with Anthony Hsu, uh, you know, probably not even with Michael Riley, other guys like that. But, and not only because he's left-handed, but because his stuff's pretty good and he commands his stuff pretty good. So it's worth keeping an eye on him. He's, he's the next, like, interesting story in the minor leagues because he played for the River City Rascals, which is a local independent team uh, in the, uh, the, met- the metropolitan St. Louis area. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, he's an, in- an interesting guy to watch. Anything could happen. And the fact that they cleaned him up off of the indie league scrap heap isn't a reason necessarily to be dismissive. Keep an eye on him. Uh, the Cardinals, he, he's at the right point in his development to keep an eye on him. Because the Cardinals don't really have much in the way, like, on his timeline. You know, they've got some guys at AAA, and they've got some guys that could be a double-A that they move to the bullpen. And uh, there might be a time when the Cardinals need to call on uh, Mr. Warner in a pinch. So keep an eye on him because he is interesting. He has interesting stuff. Well, I, yeah, I think that makes sense. So I think that's all we got, Kyle. Do you have anything else you want to add tonight? No, sir. No, sir. You know, uh, we're getting into the last month of the minor league season, and this is usually, just like with the major league season, the last month is a little deceptive. You'll see guys start to wear down. Uh, if you're one of the people who keeps an eye on the, the box score, keep that in mind. Uh, you might get deceptive numbers. You know, with, with especially younger players at advanced levels, you'll start to see them paper off. You'll start to see some of the guys who played uh, in the winter league. Uh, you'll start to see them paper off because they played a lot of baseball. Uh, I would imagine as it starts to get colder, some of the uh, the Islanders, some of the uh, international signings, they probably are going to start cooling off a little bit. Uh, so just keep that in mind when uh, when you're doing some at-home appraising, and also you're down to your last month to go watch a minor league affiliate. And as I always say, if you're in the St. Louis area, you're you know in any direction, you're three to four hours away from an affiliate, and uh, it's a great family trip. It's a great trip with your friends. Uh, go make it and have some fun. $2 beer is like everywhere all the time. Except Springfield because they suck. 
Anyway, yeah. I think, uh, well, thanks for squeezing this in tonight, Kyle. I think I learned as much doing this as, as anyone listening, and I try to watch as much minor leagues as I can. Anyway, this has been uh, another episode of Prospect Community Letter. We will have another one to be determined whenever that, that happens. Kyle, when do you have Prospects After Dark this week? Oh, God. So uh, we were going to try to fit it in uh, either tomorrow or this Tuesday right now. We were going to try to fit it in Wednesday or Thursday, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to. My schedule's been kind of all over the place. So I don't know. If, if we do it, it'll be Thursday, but we're just going to have to wait and see. If not, it'll probably be, well, I don't know what the problem is. If not, we'll do it next Monday. We'll probably do it next Monday. All right, well, there you go. Um, you can find Kyle's stuff. He's re-ranking prospects, as am I. His is over at Furs on the Block. Mine's now at Carp's Conclave. Uh, all the Redbird Daily guys are over there now. Uh, thanks for listening tonight. Uh, please subscribe, and if you like it, rate and review it. Uh, we really appreciate you guys listening. Thanks, and have a good night.